Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BiteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guests are Bill Flanagan and Jim Fava, and we will be talking about the power of life cycle assessment, data-driven decision-making for environmental sustainability. Data-driven decision-making for environmental sustainability is crucial to our planet's outcome. With the planet reaching triple crisis mode, Life Cycle Assessment, or LCA, is the most important tool to evaluate the effectiveness of different prevention and mitigation strategies. LCA empowers industries, policymakers, and individuals to make choices that mitigate ecological harm, enhance resource efficiency, and foster a holistic understanding of the interconnected systems. Jim Flanagan is co-founder and director of Aspire Sustainability. He specializes, his his specialties include life cycle assessment, life cycle management, and environmental technology, including remediation, emissions reduction, and pollution prevention. Dr. Jim Fava has spent more than 30 years years supporting businesses and governments to understand the risks and opportunities facing them and providing guidance, tools, and know-how to enable them to operate in a more environmentally responsible and sustainable fashion. For more information about LCA, you can visit the professional organization ACLCA.org. Again, that is ACLCA.org. And with that, I'd like to welcome Bill and Jim to the show. Good day, gentlemen. Good day, Bill. This is uh, Jim Fava. I'm pleased to be here and uh, collaborating with uh, Bill on your Power of uh, information on life cycle assessment and the power of LCA to inform decision making. Great. Great. And, and Bill, morning. hello, Bill. Good morning. This is Bill, and also happy to be uh, on this call. Um, uh, looking forward to our conversation, and uh, it's nice to be joined with uh, with Jim Fava, who I've known for many years. Great, great. Now, this seems to be a, a ecology and um, – Kind of uh, being economic, excuse me, um, ecological awareness seems to be my my theme for the month. Last last week, I had um, Jean Michel Cousteau on my show, and we were talking about marine conservation. So um, this one, this one's more from a business standpoint, which is um, really important because I think you know it's the business decisions of large organizations that help drive 
you know, kind of the world, you know, as far as accents. So um, let me start with um, you, uh, Jim. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your introduction to LCA, um, life cycle um, analysis, assessment? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess I've been involved uh, since, I guess, 1989. Uh, I was uh, president of a uh, association called Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry. And for the first 15 years, I was spending a lot of time on helping companies and understanding the environmental impact of their uh, manufacturing operations, uh, you know, sort of their uh, effluent into the, into the water environment. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, impacts to the air, water, land, and the impacts of electric utility uh, power plants on the, on the environment. Um, and about the same time, um, I live in uh, Costa Rica now, but I lived at that point uh, in Philadelphia uh, area, and there was a barge going up and down the east coast of the U.S. Uh, in the ocean, and um, it was all full of solid waste and waste. Uh, so we're looking for a place to, to sort of get rid of that uh, solid waste. Um, and if I, so that was happening on one hand. And the other thing that was happening was that there was a um, – sort of a disposable cloth diaper debate uh, because of this influence of sort of solid waste. Uh, there was a, a study and re release made by the, uh, you know, the cloth diaper uh, industry that, uh, in fact, cloth diapers don't create solid waste. So that would be better for the environment. And so that's how it was sort of proposed and presented. Um, and then the single-use diaper industry got together and said, well, you know, maybe it doesn't have as much um, solid waste, but you still have to use energy uh, to heat the water and you need detergents to, um, to you know, for cleaning the, the diapers. And that sort of raised the, the sort of evolution fairly quickly uh, about what, what are the right impacts for evaluating a a product. And at that point, the life cycle assessment methodology wasn't really defined. There was some earlier work being done in uh, in the UK, in the US, in Sweden, and Switzerland, but it was more mass balance energy analysis. And so, uh, the Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, which I was president of, uh, had a technique called the uh, Pelston Workshop Series, and it basically brings 50 people together from around the world, uh, from you know, government, industry, uh, NGOs, universities, um, and brings them together in a, in a nice place, you know, turns the cell phones off while we didn't have cell phones yet, um, and um, sort of lock the door and spend a week addressing a particular topic and wrote a book. Um, and so in August 1990, in Smothers, uh we brought 50 people together from around the world and from uh, the four sectors that I talked about, um, and we wrote a book. You know, we talked about what is life cycle assessment, why would you do it. Uh, we coined the term uh, life cycle uh, assessment uh, to include both the, uh, you know, sort of the inventory, the, the impact of, you know, what was used from a mass balance standpoint, uh, and how that could be uh, used to make improvements. And so that was sort of the start. And then from then, the next 30 years, uh, I was involved continually the CTAC and then uh, ISO and helping to write the ISO standards. And we can go into that a little bit later. But 
But that really changed my whole life. Uh, and so for, you know, the next 30 years, and, you know, until I'm still doing it, like today with this uh, conversation, a couple podcasts I'm doing, really continuing to advance uh, the application of life cycle thinking, life cycle assessment, to create more pro- more sustainable products on a global, global basis. And it's impacted my life both technically and professionally, but also because of so many of the clients I had were global. Uh, my wife and I had a lot of travel around the world, and we ended up uh, one time doing some training here in Costa Rica uh, and fell in love with Costa Rica. About six years ago, we moved here uh, full-time. Uh, so it's impacted both professionally and uh and personally, so uh, LCA has been a very uh, instrumental uh, and impactful uh, on my life and uh, career, and it's been quite, quite frankly, very rewarding, um, and um, I really enjoyed it. So uh, I also appreciate the opportunity to share information with you and your listeners. Well, great. Well, that's you know that's um, that is a, a very I'm the the whole line of work, you know, it's just very impactful, and, and you know, and it, it's great. Now, Bill, how about you? How and when did you start working with the LCA concept? Uh, yeah, I actually joined a bit later than Jim did. Have you heard Jim? Jim's been involved in the in the the concept and the field of LCA since pretty much the beginning. I got involved around 2007. I was working with GE General Electric, and um, I was in the middle of my career there, and I had an opportunity um, to uh, for the company to explore uh, LCA. Uh, what is it? Uh, how do you do it? And what are the implications for a company the size of GE with its broad range of um, products? ranging from consumer products to, you know, very advanced technology such as aircraft engines and high-tech medical equipment. Um, so uh, that gave me a really good um, opportunity to, number one, you know, learn about this area, this concept of LCA, how to do it. I was very fortunate to connect with um, actually folks within ACLCA, the American Cycle Assessment, who helps me network and connect with the right mentors and teachers. Um, and I built up a team and made sure we were all highly trained. And uh, through the next about 10 years or so, we we really have gained a lot of experience, not only applying the methodology of LCA to really understand different products and technologies, um, but working in that sort of, business competitive environment, we really learned how to apply LCA in support of sustainable business strategies. And so we learned that the key to success was to show business stakeholders, you know, various product leaders, business leaders, CEOs, um, the power of really understanding the sustainability attributes of their products and technologies especially in comparison to competing products and technologies and how that insight and that knowledge could be leveraged to further advance uh, not just product development, product design, but how to engage with the customer, 
Um, and so I think we, we got really, really good at talking about sustainability, uh, using terms and language that business leaders could relate to, um, and understanding that we, we were exploring and leveraging the concept of sustainability on the one hand to make the company better, to make society better, uh, but also to make the business opportunities better. And what we learned, especially in the business-to-business -business types of engagements, that um, almost all key customers were very engaged and motivated by sustainability aspects in their supply chain. And that was a real eye-opening moment for me because uh, this was not driven, in most cases, it was not driven by any government policy or government regulations, but was really driven by the business world's awareness of how important environmental sustainability uh, is and is going to be in the future. So uh, independent, but, you know, there, there are a lot more policy initiatives in Europe than in the U.S. or Canada, but in, even in the absence of government policy, the drivers for sustainability were very, very strong and are continuing to be very, very strong within business. And so that gave me an appreciation for, uh, e even with, even with sort of the, um, competing challenges businesses face with short-term, um, outlooks from, you know, Wall Street perspectives, but they really have to think long-term, uh, to ensure that they're successful. And so that was, that was a key insight to me. And then so we were pretty successful uh, within GE. We won a lot of awards and had a lot of visibility and influence across the entire company. But around 2017, uh, one of my coworkers and I left GE to form Aspire Sustainability. So we're about six years into working as a consultancy um, and continuing to do all this great work, but now for a, a wide variety of clients around the world. and. It's just really interesting. And I'll just say one, one other insight that I, I had is that, you know, the, the concept of life cycle assessment is really powerful and can really peel the onion uh, around looking at the sustainability issues, not only across the life cycle or, uh, or value chain of a product or technology, but also looking at a wide variety of environmental impact areas. And the insights can be surprising and counterintuitive, and in many cases, I can't think of any other uh, technique or methodology that would help one get to that level of insight. And so, uh, in some cases, that those insights were able to reveal sort of hidden sustainability advantages of a particular product or technology. Um, and on the flip side, in some cases, we're able to identify potential problems. Um, and so, we were often called on by uh, a chief technology officer to explore a particular technology area that the company was thinking about investing in just to make sure that there weren't any, any hidden issues. And so uh, the, the power of LCA to um, uncover counterintuitive insights and avoid unintended consequences is really quite profound. And so it's, it, it can be a very, very exciting field to be working in. Yeah. Uh, um, I, uh, I just something to right. that. Um, this is Jim. Uh, one of the things 
Bill said, which I, I, I really like and, and support, is um, this whole language um, of the, the user, you know, community uh, speaking in their language. Um, you know, whether you're talking about uh, increasing revenue or enhancing your brand, reducing costs to mitigate risk. Uh, and that's been, you know, Bill in his career, that's been very much uh, sort of uh, foundational in a lot of our our work and, you know, might work similarly to, to Bill in a very complimentary way. Um, there's two examples I'd like to highlight. One was we did a workshop in New Zealand a few years ago, um, and we had 40 people around the table uh, from business community within the, uh, uh, the New Zealand, uh, you know, business community. Um, and we talked about, you know, those four sort of corporate business values, uh, you know, revenue, brand, cost, and uh, risk. Uh, and we went through lots of examples, and we had round tables, and they talked a little bit about what some of they were doing and so forth. But before we started a workshop, um, I asked the question, uh, think about a project that you had proposed to, to your company uh, that didn't get funded, a project in the environmental, sustainability, social area. Um, and so we went through this four-hour workshop, and, and at the end, uh, they were really sharing a lot of good examples of what was being done and a lot of good examples of sort of the business value, uh, but they hadn't thought about it in that context. And uh, so at the end of the workshop, I, I asked the question, if you took what you had and learned in the last four hours and used that language to make your case uh, to your management about going forward this particular project that you want to have funded, do you think you would get it? you would have gotten it funded. And everybody, all 40 people raised their hand, yes. Uh, so that was an example where the, at least in a very simple, you know, four-hour period with people using the language of the, of the final decision maker is very critical to getting these things forward. And, and Bill was right 100%. You know, there was a lot of interest in the, in the business community of seeing the value of taking a life cycle approach uh, even before there was any kind of regulatory or government, uh, you know, requirements. And those are just now starting. But for a long time, it was about this is good good for my business. One other quick example I had was uh, we met with a major, um, I guess, multinational company in Connecticut. Um, and uh, we met with their e-environmental health and safety folks, and we talked about eco-design. And they were very supportive, but they said, look, we're in the environment, health, and safety part of the company, and the only thing the company is concerned about is cost. So if you could show me how your eco-design will reduce costs, you know, we'll be all for it. But there were two people in the room who represented the technology uh, department, uh, and a lot of examples were related to business value of taking an environmental eco-design approach. Uh, and sure enough, you know, the guy raised his hand and said, if, if we could do this, you know, this eco-design, including the life cycle, thinking of life cycle information, and, and it can create a business value for me, I'm all for it. Uh, so that really is very powerful when you think about LCA. It's not just sitting there doing the methodology and collecting the data and presenting the results. It's being able to translate those results into the language of the user so they can make more informed decisions, which then results in you know, more sustainable products, which helps grow the revenue, reduce the cost, mitigate or, or enhance the brand, or and mitigate risk. So it's a very powerful tool, you know, as Bill uh, indicated, and I fully support that comment. And that's actually the question of another... I was going to say, Bill... 
Um, I'm sorry, Bill. I was going to say, do, do you have an example of, you know, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes some things end up being counterintuitive, you know, that maybe, you know, there there is um, an expectation, you know, for a particular result, maybe, you know, cost or revenue. Can, can you talk a little bit about the idea of maybe an example of where, you know, you encountered something that was not expected by going through the assessment process? Yeah, I have a really good example, and that was one of the earlier projects that we worked on uh, with NGE, and um, it relates to the technology, the process technology used to manufacture biopharmaceuticals. So when I say biopharmaceuticals, I'm thinking of things like monoclonal antibodies and vaccines uh, that are typically expressed by mammalian cells. And so mammalian cells, similar to fermentation, um, are grown in bioreactors and are very prone to contamination. And so all of this process technology has to occur in clean room type environments um, and is typically done by in batches. So you grow up a batch, you harvest it, and then you go through a series of downstream separation and purification steps. Uh, to ultimately come up with uh, with the final uh, drug substance. And um, I, I guess uh, there had been some developments in the technology space where some uh, equipment manufacturers had developed single-use technology. So, in other words, um, pre-sterilized equipment um, that you could use uh, as your bioreactor uh, so that after you finish growing a, a batch of the male and cells and harvest the broth, you then dispose of um, a key part of the equipment, the cell bag, the liner, uh, and then you could immediately start the next batch with a new liner without having to go through and sterilize and clean and, and validate your equipment. Um, and so uh, GE was involved in, in that technology space, and I uh, started working with the product manager or marketing manager who was beginning to get concerned that although there were a lot of cost and productivity benefits to these new single-use approaches, um, this can't possibly be good for the environment to go from a bioreactor system that's stainless steel and you clean and reuse it to a new system that involves a need to continually manufacture new, primarily plastic, single-use components and then dispose of those, typically through incineration because they've been in contact with um, with um, materials. And so that clearly can't be good. And so we entered that space doing those studies, um, fully expecting to confirm our suspicions that we're going in the wrong direction environmentally, but the motivation for doing the work was to make sure that, like, to find out exactly where in the value chain or where in the life cycle the problem is, how bad is it, and that would potentially give us a roadmap to, well, how can we make it less bad? Uh, but when we finished the first study, which was solely focused on the bioreactor, the counterintuitive result was that the single-use approach came out significantly better in terms of its environmental impacts in, in every environmental impact category that we looked at. 
that result, so we did another study using entirely different sources of data, um, and then we extended that to look at all of the all of the steps in manufacturing, and we reproduced the result that the single-use technology approach was giving lower environmental impacts across the life cycle, and this this is completely counterintuitive. Um, so then we also did a third study using yet another set of, of data just to confirm all of that. And then we uh, wrote up all of that work, had it peer-reviewed, had it published in a technical journal, and spent a lot of time engaging with the industry to sort of talk to them about this. So it represented a, a complete shift in perception within the industry. Um, that uh, So it wasn't a perfect technology because you still – have more impacts in your supply chain, uh, and you now have solid waste that you need to manage. But the, the key point was that by going to these pre-sterilized components, um, you eliminated the need for cleaning and sterilization between batches, and you also reduced the need for such extensive clean room environments. So in theory, you could set up this kind of equipment in, in field tents. Um, around the world. And so, um, again, not a, not a perfect situation, but from a life cycle perspective, um, counterintuitively and surprisingly uh, showed to be not as bad as we thought. In fact, in many situations uh, showing environmental benefits compared to traditional technology. Now, I should just caution that, you know, we still have a lot of other things we want to do. We don't want to have new solid wastes to manage. We don't want to be manufacturing a lot of plastics. But in this particular application, uh, those environmental burdens were more than offset by uh, savings, uh, environmental savings in the overall operation of the process. So that, wow. that, that's um, one very powerful for the industry. Yeah, Bill, this, this is a real quick example um, just to, to sort of follow up on your question. Um, we did a study a while back ago. Um, it was a shoe, co shoe company, um, and the CEO was interested, and they they processed the leather in North America, and then they shipped it to Portugal to, to make the shoe, and they shipped it back to the North America to sell in the, in the North American market. Uh, and their concern was this was a big energy, uh, early greenhouse gas concern. Um, and uh, we did this study. It wasn't, you know, a long study was more like a streamlined study, but it was pretty clear uh, that when you look at the full life cycle, including the actual growing of the, the, the process of the leather that's at the front end, um, they found that it really was the, the greatest contribution was from the upstream contribution related to leather production, not transportation. So she was on a, a major tack to basically Think about moving the, the uh, manufacturing from Portugal back to North America. But when she found it, she said, what we really have to do is keep it in, in uh, Portugal would be fine, but we've got to work on the, the front-end part of this in terms of uh, um, the whole you know, leather production side of it. So they put energy uh, in that area. And it's still one of the biggest uh, concerns about, you know, with the leather processing. Uh, a lot of, but that was a good example fairly quickly. Uh, where that life cycle provided unexpected outcomes and really then drove a corporate uh, strategy about using life cycle information to help inform uh, their decisions. Yeah, so now when it comes to um, going through an assessment, 
because um, obviously it, it's unique to each product. So when you go in, let's, I will, let me start with, with Jim. When you are approached by a company to assess, you know, the life cycle of a product, um, do, do you – does it require you to be able to, you know, understand each and every step of the process as well as, you know, like resources required to make the product? Yeah, I mean the the uh, the methodology um, is a is a four phase methodology. The first phase is what's called a goal and scope definition. Uh, it's where you bring the the people together who are interested in the, conducting the study or who may be uh, the users of that study, um, and you talk about what's the purpose of the study, um, why are you gonna why do you want the information, how are you gonna use the information. Where does the information come from? And that's like this mapping. You know, you go from the raw materials acquisition through the logistics manufacturing through to a, you know, a, a customer and then ultimately maybe to the, to a consumer. It depends on what it is, like a, a business to business or, you know, business to consumer kind of a product. But then in that earlier stages, you begin to map that out. And for each of what they call those, they call the unit process. And for each of those unit processes, you collect the, you know, the energy um, and mass balance, so the inputs and outputs associated with that. And that's what they call the second phase uh, is inventory analysis. And that's sort of that, you know, collecting all that information from all the way from raw materials through some kind of into life, whether it's recycling or landfill, you know, from a cradle to cradle or cradle to grade perspective. Um, and then once you have that information, uh, then you begin to do what's called a life cycle impact assessment, uh, sort of the potential of those inputs and outputs um, on what the impact might be to the environment or, or human health. Uh, and then the fourth phase is what they call uh, interpretation. You look at the results of that um, using the goal and scope for the purpose of collecting the, the data, uh, energy and mass balance and input-output and the inventory, doing the assessment, both environmental and health assessment and the impact assessment, and the interpretation then is interpreting it uh, in a way that can be understood by the, the life cycle professional, but also be understood by the, um, you know, the, the decision makers. So there's a sort of a role in there as a, for translators uh, to help the information that you've collected from a, you know, the analytical and an LCA perspective and put it in a language that's very useful to the, uh, to the decision makers. So that's sort of the process of what an LCA is. And I, I, I keep thinking that the goal and scope is probably one of the most critical because it gets at build your, your, your question directly. You know, what are those inputs? What are those outputs um, that you're going to be looking at? Um, and what we find um, in studies, there's a lot of studies recently going out that only looks at one impact. Uh, well, maybe, for example, let me look at greenhouse gas um, uh, throughout the whole value chain. But that's it's called a carbon footprint, but it's not necessarily an LCA, because an LCA should look at multiple impacts. So you, greenhouse gas is certainly an important one. Energy is another one, but you'll have water. Uh, there's biodiversity. There's, uh, you know, toxicity concerns on some of the chemicals that might be used. 
So LCA has a lot of multiple impacts. And to really be called, at least in my perspective, an LCA, you need to have multiple impacts. So that goal and scope uh, is critical. And the success we find more and more is when the, the user of that information becomes a very much part of that goal and scope team so that when they, you decide what you're going to do, what data you're going to collect, where the data is going to come from, how you're going to be used and interpret that data, they're involved right from the beginning. Uh, so the outcome then, they're aware of what all the information, where it came from, what kind of analysis was done, and so it's more, um, they're more responsive to being able to interpret and use that information, you know, in their own decision making. So that's how I would, I would suggest and portray how an LCA actually uh, is works on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And Bill, with, at, at Aspire, um Sustainability. Do you have, I mean, is that pretty much the process that, that you use or maybe any type of variation? Uh, no, actually, Jim described it quite well. So uh, the, the overall methodological approach for LCA has essentially been codified through the ISO standards, and even if we're not specifically required to be fully conformant with those standards, uh, we do follow those same uh, general steps, those four steps that Jim outlined, and as he mentioned, the goal and scope is one of the most important uh, aspects of that because it it, well, it it accomplishes two key things. One is um, you pull your stakeholders together. A lot of times it's a bunch of different people from within the client company, for example, and one of the really cool things about that is sometimes those people never get a chance to interact with one another because, you know, we, we sort of organize business structures in a very reductionist way. So this person's job is focused on this and this person's job is focused on that. And when you get them all in one room to think about the product or technology across its entire life cycle or value chain, these folks have likely never had an opportunity to think about their work from such a cradle to grave perspective, and so it can be very energizing, and sometimes the conversations extend not just to the study, but to, hey, new ideas about business strategy when you're looking at it from a big picture perspective. But the other key thing about goal and scope is, you know, how how deep do we have to go? Like, how, how deep do we have to be with respect to the question we're trying to answer? And some cases you can you can do a, a screening level life cycle assessment initially where you don't look in as much detail or a streamlined assessment, um, and then you can work your way down on an as needed basis to getting into you know quite detailed um, data collection. So it's important to always keep sort of a strategic perspective on what what question are we trying to answer, how much detail, how much effort is required answer that question and um, and I think one of the, the key things that can come out of an LCA as, as Jim's earlier example about the transport is um, helps you identify what are the most impactful aspects mm -hmm. of your product or technology where are the things how what are the things you should focus on uh, to improve to make that product or technology better than it is, and what are the things that you shouldn't necessarily waste time on because they're not really contributing to the environmental impact. And those those are things that are not always 
intuitively obvious. And so that that all happens during goal and scope, and that, that defines, again, the level of detail you go through in each of the other um, phases. And then the other thing to keep in mind is the whole, all of these phases can be iterative. So as you learn more about your system, you can come back and revise their goal and scope. You can say, well, we need to expand our system boundary or we need to get into more more detailed data collection in this particular aspect, um, et cetera. So it's, it's a really fascinating process. It can be really a lot of work, but it can be really energizing and enlightening for the folks that are involved. Add one quick thing. Um, um, sure. One of the things that I that Bill articulated, I think, very clearly was that the ISO – uh, really created the uh, credibility uh, for the LCA. Um, a lot of work by CCAC was really established a lot of the scientific foundation, a number of books, and it's still continuing to do a lot of work in the impact assessment area. Uh, but you needed uh, an international standard, uh, and international organization of standardization uh, has been around for many, many years, uh, and it has created wonderful standards in many, many topics. Uh, but in the early 1992-93, it uh, established a uh, technical committee on environmental management, and LCA was one of the series of standards that were written. Um, and I think that really established, you know, within 1996 was the first LCA standard that was uh, finalized and approved by all the countries. And that became a, a stake in the ground. You know, someone said, well, there's no credible LCA. Uh, there is. The ISO standard really provided that very uh, strongly uh, and uh, clearly. And so I think that was a very uh, pivotal time uh, for the advancement of LCA. And since then, it's, it's gotten, you know, the standardization has gotten better, as well as the, uh, the ability to, you know, to do the analysis, like uh, Bill said. Sometimes you can follow the methodology 100% to the standard. Sometimes you're willing to do it based on the you know, the purpose of the study, more of a streamlined kind of thing. But it's still based on the principles that are in, really came from the CCAC early on and that were embedded internationally through the, through the ISO process. So I think that's just an important thing to, to realize is that the, the LCA does have very strong, you know, credibility via the ISO uh, activity. Yeah, that, that, that would certainly convince business owners to um, at least explore, you know, the, the use of, of LCA. Um, we're going to take a, a, just a quick short break, uh, gentlemen. And then when we come back um, from each of you, I'd like for you to address, you know, if a business person is listening right now and they have not yet used um, an LCA for any of their products, what would – um, they look for, you know, in their product. I mean, what would kind of they, they would um, what would make them want to use an LCA? You know, I mean, what what are some of their their business um, experience that would say, okay, maybe that would work for this? Because you know, to try and I wouldn't say convince, but try and kind of open up to the possibility that an uh, an LCA would be useful for their business. Okay? Very good. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break.
Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guests are Bill Flanagan, who is co-founder and director at Aspire Sustainability. And we also have Dr. Jim Fava, um, who has spent more than 30 years supporting businesses and governments and understanding the risks and opportunities facing them. Uh, Jim is joining us today from Costa Rica. Uh, so for more information about um, LCA, um, you can visit the organization aclca.org to find out more and, you know, uh, about the standards and, and opportunities to meet and join in the conversation. So with that, we're back, Bill and Jim. Okay. Hello. Hello, guys. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me just speak briefly. I think the question we, we concerned her now is um, essentially I'll respect, how do you how do you know when it would be valuable to do an LCA? Uh, so if you're a business person listening in, how exactly would you determine, hey, is now the right time? What it would this be valuable for my product? And so uh, based on all of uh, our experiences with LCA in the past, we actually put together some guidance um, based on real examples of, you know, what are the motivators and the drivers for doing an LCA? And so we came up with five categories, customers, competitors, the product itself, uh, other environmental attributes, and then green marketing. So from a customer perspective, many projects are driven by, hey, I need to do an LCA because my customer – is asking for it or is requiring it as a condition for bid. So there's a lot of business examples where you simply have to have this. Um, but there's other examples where you don't have a requirement, but by having this more advanced um, sustainability insight around your product or technology, you can demonstrate thought leadership within your product sector, within your industry. So those are the customer drivers. The competitor drivers are sort of just the flip of that. If your competitors have more advanced uh, insight around the sustainability attributes of their products and technologies through LCA, and you don't, you could be at a competitive disadvantage. At the same time, if your competitors aren't doing anything, uh, you, again, have an opportunity to move ahead of the pack and exhibit thought leadership. Uh, another motivator for doing an LCA is, hey, if you if you want to if you want to position your product as a green product, that you really need to make sure you do your homework. And LCA is a great way of doing your homework to ensure that you really do have a green product. Uh, you might want to be positioning it with respect to, uh, you know, green building codes or other other uh, certification programs out there. Uh, another example of how to differentiate your product, you know, there's a lot of, you know, in the past, there's a lot of products where you think about energy efficiency, right, and all you have to look is energy efficiency. But what if you have primary environmental impact other than energy efficiency? LCA is a great way to highlight the sustainability benefits other than something like a, like a single metric energy. Um, and what if you're doing eco-design or design for the environment? LCA is a really important tool as part of that toolkit. One other category to think about is, like, what if you have a product that contains um, toxics or substances of concern? And, you know, we try not to have products that include those, but there are some advanced technologies where key materials 
need to be included just because of the, the properties and the technology that you're trying to develop. Uh, um, or rare things like, you know, rare earth metals or things like that. Um, and so an LTA can really look at, well, okay, I've, I've got some negative attributes here, but how is it, is it possible that these negative attributes contribute to the overall positive benefits of this product or technology? So there's justification looking at the overall benefit. Um, and then again, the last category is a little bit duplicative, but in the green marketing space, it's, it's really important to have a good understanding of uh, not just your manufacturing uh, performance or the product in its use phase, but you really have to understand the environmental sustainability attributes across the life cycle. So um, those are sort of five categories we think about and, and we counsel clients or other stakeholders on us. Like here, here are the things that would make doing an LCA quite valuable from a business perspective. Yeah. yeah. Jim, do you have yeah. Let me sort of respond, respond to that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think Bill's showing me the five is, is right on. Uh, a couple of sort of examples or sort of additions. One um, that we found when we've approached companies, um, there's um, some of them have been um, what they call, I've got four strategies that I, I use uh, when I interact with companies. They're either a compliant company that's just going to deal with whatever my customer wants or uh, what's required by a government. Um, the second one is sort of market-driven, which is more of a, if the market demands it, I'll do it. Uh, the third one is sort of engaged, uh, where you're, you're sort of trying to be a little proactive. And the fourth one is called Shape the Future. They're the ones that are, you know, really shaping the future. And a lot of, I think, GE work that uh, Bill had done early on uh, sort of fell in that Shape the Future kind of uh, category. Um, but when, you, when we talk to companies, I try to get a feel for where they are in their mindset. Because if their mindset is, okay, we'll do it if a customer asks me for it, um, then I, you, you sort of go down that line of a conversation with the, with the, with the company. Uh, and if there's no customers doing it, uh, and that's their strategy, it's very hard to get them to, you know, to change their mind um, because well, their whole strategy is about that. So by working with the company and understanding their strategy, and if you, the more you get towards companies, you say, hey, if you could start using the business language uh, that we talked about earlier, uh, again, to illustrate, okay, by, you know, like the, the, the example of the Connecticut company that we worked with, you know, well, I can use this to create a more sustainable product, and that is positive. So that's one thing that I, I, I think is important. The other thing that I think is important is the whole issue of, uh, you know, their corporate goals. And uh, a lot of companies now have corporate goals on uh, carbon reduction and, uh, circular economy, and so forth. Um, and when it comes right down to it, uh, the changes, you know, can't be done on their on the supply chain. It can certainly be done on their, uh, you know, the manufacturing and logistics. But all that activity is based on the individual product. Uh, so I think there's a, a strong desire now uh, for companies to really look at the role of the product manager, who's the one who's actually responsible for overseeing the, you know, the, the sort of the scoping, the discovery, the, you know, the, the business case for the redesigning. Well, it, it looks like Jim dropped off there for a second. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get him called 
back in, um, uh, pawn back in. But, um, so, you know, let's take a minute and, you know, talk about Aspire uh, Sustainability, uh, your company that you co-founded. Talk, talk to us about what are some of the services that you provide. Okay, great. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, my colleague Angela Fisher and I had worked together uh, pretty closely for 10 years at GE and uh, had, had amazing teamwork and, and skill sets uh, that worked well in a complementary fashion, so we figured we had the right stuff to form a consultancy. So uh, we are a consultancy, um, and so I guess we're a little bit of a boutique consultancy, but I think what different us uh, overall from a lot of consultancies is we have a very unique combination of the deep technical expertise of how to do LCA uh, combined with some a lot of real-world business savvy uh, of being able to successfully leverage the concepts of LCA in a, a very business-driven environment such as GE. So we understand the business environments in which our customers and clients uh, operate and, and all of the challenges. So that really drives a real perspective on, well, how do you communicate the results using a combination of business language and, and terminology so that it doesn't come across as too, too arcane in terms of its scientific terminology that people can't understand the key points. Um, and we're very good at figuring out how to recognize and then leverage insights to inform business strategies. Um, so our, our main roles, the things that we do for clients, and again, we work for clients ranging from startups to, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and we do a lot of life cycle assessment studies, carbon footprint studies, but we also get involved in strategy support. So offering, you know, helping our clients with their product sustainability strategies and we thought that would be more attractive to smaller companies that don't have their own sustainability teams. But we find that some large companies with sustainability teams will have us come in to help um, inform their perspectives or to train them on new ideas uh, or to help them uh, get the message out through their companies more broadly. Because sometimes when you work within a company, um, people don't listen to you as well as if you are an expert brought in from outside. So there's some gamesmanship in that. <laughs> we tend to Great. Now, yeah, we, we, have, um, we have Jim back. <laughs> Jim. Uh, great. So um, Bill was just talking about um, what they have to um, offer as Spire Sustainability. But I want to kind of, kind of finish up on and what we were talking about before you left. In, um, the call drop and then um, find out what it is that you can offer clients. But so when when um, the conversation was interrupted, um, you were talking about project managers, you know, because of the um, the fact that so many corporations have a, a wide variety of, of projects or, or products that it's usually at the project manager kind of level where um, the LCA would be most beneficial. Yeah, no, uh, Bill, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, one of my, I guess, sort of these touch together, um, but um, I'm gone to the point I retired at the end of uh, in December, 
um, but I still have a passion for, you know, working with the uh, with companies and uh, in the broader, you know, sustainability innovation community uh, to really uh, elevate the role of the product manager uh, to really become an enabler, uh, the facilitator, uh, the person that really can, can accelerate the, the development of more uh, sustainable products. And when you look at a product manager, um, there's, I think, wait, if I did a little search a while ago, there's like 700,000 product managers out there. And the product managers are really responsible for guiding the product or service through that entire life cycle from, you know, scoping, discovery, to introduction to the market, uh, to launch, and to, you know, subsequent growth and maturity and decline kind of thing. So they become a really critical person, sort of a go-to uh, person in that area. So I find, quite frankly, a lot of what I'm doing now, I've got two podcasts I'm working on, um, one with uh, Neil D'Souza, uh, who is sound founder and uh, uh, CEO of a company called Makersite. Um, and they are a company that's really working with companies using lifecycle data and information to really inform uh, decision-making. And the other one is a, is a company who is um, uh, Sophie, who is an innovation company. And so I've got a podcast uh, with them on sustainable innovation. So Neil uh, and I talk about uh, sustainable innovation, but more from the product manager's perspective, I've been working with uh, the Sophie company to really help on the uh, what we call uh, uh, sustainable innovation uh, and try to, you know, sort of a similar kind of thing, but more from a, I've got 10 golden rules that we uh, we highlight in the uh, in the book, uh, The Power of uh, LCA. And I think that um, it's actually a very good uh, book, and I've been using that as a way of explaining what LCA is to, to people. Uh, in the series of podcasts and a series of, of posts. So I'm retired, but I'm still focusing in on uh, really helping companies and people understand the power of what LCA can provide to drive more sustainable products. Yeah, well, you have such a wealth of experience and information that, uh, you know, retiring that, that, uh, Treasure would would be a, would be a pity. So I'm glad that you're at least being able to continue uh, to share and, and to inform. And I know that decades ago, when I was in the corporate world uh, and was um, a, a project manager, project manager, I hadn't a clue as to some of the, the <laughs> scope of, of what's going on. And I know for a fact that if I even had a glimmer of, of uh, you know, the life cycle assessment, um, that I would have come across so much more effective <laughs> in, in being able to uh, present and to manage a project, project as well. Yeah, that's why a lot of these podcasts, and I think what Bill's doing as well, his leadership in the American Center for LCA, is to really build that understanding within the product managers, uh, because they are the critical, one of the key critical ones. And the more they understand and they think about we help them and build and everything with the American Center and others do, is really help them understand. And secondly, you know, what are simple actions that you can take on Monday morning? Um, you know, a 50, you know, a 2050 goal is nice, but it's hard to take action on Monday. So we really try to drive it down to a level that um, something I can begin to do and work with. And, you know, to me, the goal and scope definition of an LCA 
uh, is foundational to what a product manager needs to think about uh, when they put together a team uh, to go through that whole stage gate process as part of their, their product work. So to me, that's LCA is a very common methodology that's very useful product manager to consider and use uh, as part of their stage gate process. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for joining me today and um, in, enlightening us uh, about the life cycle assessment process. And um, I want to thank you very much. I'm uh, following you both on LinkedIn now, so I look forward to seeing how things progress. Well, thank you, Rob. Really great to be invited to share our thoughts, and it was nice to share this time with Jim. Jim and I have known each other for quite a long time. And, and by the way, Jim, there's no no need for us to retire, right? It's just too much fun. <laughs> I mean, I heard Paul McCarthy and Ringo still out there playing music, and this is just too much fun. Well, that's my problem right now. My wife, I enjoy it so much, and she said, Jim, you're not doing anything different than you've done for the last 30 years. Just now you're not getting paid for it, you know. <laughs> Kind of thing. So, well, yeah, so thanks there's, a lot. there's a workaround yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you, gentlemen. I, I really appreciate your knowledge. It's really been informative. All right. That's the ball. Everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Be sure to visit our website at www.biteradio.me. That's B-I-T-E-R-A-D-I-O dot M-E. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Byte Radio Me. And our shows are also available as a free podcast from iTunes. And until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.